0: something we all want, something we all need. It's more than optimism. It's greater than positivity. Hope is a living reality that pulls us through life's dark moments, through the world's uncertainties, and through our own grief and disappointment. Hope is found in Jesus. He's the author and embodiment of true hope. So come to the manger. Behold this miracle over and over again. Open your hearts to the hope this child is bringing to our world. Come to the manger. Be comforted by the familiar. Embrace the unfamiliar. Set aside every urgency and every distraction. And simply come. Hope is here. And his name is Jesus. Well, our theme for the next month is Hope for the Holidays. I, I love that anthem that we sang a minute ago. That chorus just kicks in We Have Hope. You know, that, that's just powerful to hear you guys sing that out. And I hope that we'll bring that back sometime in the next few weeks. You may have noticed a card on your chair that has the. Uh, um, The backdrop for this series that we're using this month on this card this is designed so that you can take it with you and invite a friend and you can put that in somebody's hands Uh, why why do we do this well this is one of those times during the year that people who don't normally go to church are more likely to receive an invitation from a friend to say come with me come check this out i think that you'll find this is good And uh, we'd love for you to be able to spread the word about that, and you may make a radical difference in somebody else's life in doing that. Our scripture text this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Join me in a quick prayer. Father God, thank you for inviting us here and for leading us to this place this morning. We ask that your presence would overwhelm us and fill us with a measure of joy. We thank you for sending Jesus into the world and for giving us reason to celebrate, reason to look at life differently. And I pray that as we open your word and we look at the message of hope, the message of joy, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus, that your words will continue to transform hearts and minds, even ours. We pray this in his name. Amen. question for you. Do you love or look forward to Christmas music each year? In some ways, I do. Uh, I'd like to tell you about one of my favorite old songs. In October of 1943, Bing Crosby recorded a somber-sounding song that was meant to encourage American troops who were fighting overseas as World War II was underway. The title came from the opening words of that song, I'll Be Home For Christmas. Within a month of the release of that song, it hit number three on the U.S. song charts and it stayed high on the charts for 11 weeks. The song was so loved that the War Department released a live version of the song the next year and it not only became the all-time most requested song at, at USO events, it became Bing Crosby's fifth gold record. However, the song was not without controversy. Imagine that, controversy over Christmas songs. While I'll Be Home for Christmas was beloved by American soldiers, officials in the United Kingdom, or in Great Britain, thought it was too melancholy, so it was banned from being played by British radio stations during World War II because they thought it would discourage the troops. Since that time, I'll Be Home for Christmas has been covered by Elvis Presley, Kelly Clarkson, Michael Buble, Johnny Mathis, Josh Groban, Reba McIntyre, Rascal Flats, Pentatonics, Sarah Evans, Camilla Cabello, Brian McKnight, and probably a few others. The song is sung from the viewpoint of a soldier far away from home thinking about Christmas with all of his loved ones back home, hoping to be home sooner than everyone expects. But the final verse of the song allows reality to hit home as we hear Bing Crosby croon, I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. Now, I'm not telling you that story simply to be nostalgic about old Christmas songs. The reason is that it demonstrates the kind of hopes and promises that we often attach to Christmas. Sometimes those hopes are realized, and sometimes those hopes are dashed. Today, we're beginning a new series that we're calling Hope for the Holidays. And over the next few Sundays, as we head toward Christmas, we're going to focus on themes that flow from this Hope from the Holidays concept. The first of those themes has to do with the number of promises that are wrapped up in the biblical accounts that are integral to the Christmas story. So, part one of this series is what we're focusing on today, and the title is Christmas Promises. So, let me say good morning, my North River friends. I'm delighted to see so many of you here in our North River Worship Center. And I love hearing from those of you who participate online, too. Thank you for making this a part of your routine and, and for being a part of us. We grow in faith and in the way that we serve the Lord by adopting patterns that allow us to take whatever the next step in faith is. And so I'd like to encourage you, if there's a next step that God prompts you toward, take the next step. Speaking of next steps, we celebrated a big next step here just on Friday. We had a delightful wedding for Jerry Klemek and Leslie Sennett, and hopefully we can show you a picture from that. So uh, along with welcoming Ashley and Justin after they just got married in October, we welcome uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jerry Klemek today. I hope that you guys will encourage them and and, uh, greet them afterwards. It was a lot of fun on Friday. Here's the question that's behind this morning's service. What does Christmas promise to us? Everybody forms promises in their own mind of what they hope Christmas will bring or what what Christmas will be, but what does Christmas promise to us? I'd like to walk you through two moves of this, first looking at Christmas promises about Jesus and then looking at Christmas promises that are for us. So let's tackle the first part of that. There are some Christmas promises that are all about Jesus that are wrapped up in the way the gospel accounts unfold. Here's the first one. God always keeps his promises. And that is the underlying foundation whenever we talk about promises at the time of Christmas. God always keeps his promises. So we come to Luke chapter one, verses 30 to 33. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. For hundreds of years, the Lord had dropped hints and clues about sending his son. This started all the way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Some people relegate Adam and Eve to the realm of myth or fiction. I dare say there's a very good reason for considering Adam and Eve more carefully. Amidst the curse that fell on them after giving in to the temptation to take a shortcut to being like God, the Lord told Eve that one of her offspring would crush the head of the evil one, that is, Satan, the sworn enemy of God and all that is good. Suddenly, Adam and Eve knew something. They knew that they would not die instantly. They knew that they would have children and that the Lord would win victory over evil, sin, and injustice through the human race, through children who came from their line. But Adam and Eve had no idea of how or when this would all take place. One of the things we learn when we talk about promises like this one is that while God always keeps his promises, he often fulfills them in unexpected ways. So none of the initial children of Adam and Eve fulfilled that promise. But thousands of years later, Jesus, who came from their line, defeated the power of the evil one through the cross and through his resurrection. And the final stage of that victory is yet to come when Jesus returns to complete all of God's plan. Another of those pre-Christmas promises was made to King David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God said to David, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Kings in the line of David ruled in Israel for many years, and while that line was physically broken at some point because of spiritual failures by those kings, the promise still contained a forever component. So it is significant that Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, in that announcement to Mary says these words. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. The Lord was announcing to Mary and to Joseph that God was picking up that promise and that he was going to reestablish his rule over his people through the spiritual reign of Jesus and ultimately on the day when Jesus is recognized as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So here's what we're learning so far Christmas tells us that the Lord makes promises. And he always keeps his promises, and some of those promises are about Jesus. Here's the second Christmas promise. The Messiah would be God's own son. So in the midst of that section, in verse 32, the angel says about Jesus, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, God's people were expecting a Messiah the, word, the Hebrew word Messiah literally means chosen one. It would later be translated into Greek as Christos and then into English as Christ. However, few people realize that the Messiah would be God's very own son. In fact, the idea of God having a son at all is still a radical concept to many, especially those outside of Christian faith. Yet, hints of there being a son of God are woven throughout the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament. Gabriel includes another promise fulfilled in his announcement to Mary. The child Mary would bear would be called the Son of the Most High. Through Mary, the Lord would bring his very own Son into the world. So Matthew's gospel includes that Joseph was told that Jesus would be given the title Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. So you might ask, When did God's son become a part of the plan and a part of the promise that God was making to his people? Well, we see little hints of it strewn throughout the Old Testament. For instance, in Psalm 2, the psalm begins this way, why do the nations conspire and people's plot in vain? Then a few verses later, the Lord declares through this psalm, I have installed my king in Zion. He said to me, you are my son. A few verses later, the same psalm tells those who would reject the son to kiss the son, meaning to recognize his authority as king and to put their trust in him. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 9 includes these words, For a child will be born to us, A son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Now, did you see what's buried in the midst of that promise that's there in Isaiah chapter 9? The same child who's called the Son of God Will also be called mighty God and Prince of Peace. And then just one more in Hosea chapter 11, uh, the, the Bible says that when Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew quotes this verse in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15, applying this statement from Hosea to Jesus. He was referring to how Joseph was warned that King Herod wanted to kill Jesus when he was still a little boy. And so Joseph, in the middle of the night, took Mary and Jesus to Egypt. And so when the time had come that King Herod died, finally Joseph brought his family back and they settled in in Nazareth. Here's the third promise that comes about Jesus. He would come from Bethlehem. This was part of the sign that people would know That this was the Messiah. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 4 So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Luke chapter 2 is part of the Christmas narrative, and it tells us that Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem. The Roman governor, as the Romans were occupying Israel, was over the province of Judea, and he required families to pay a census tax in the city of their family's origin. So for Joseph, that meant that he had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, meaning that they had to walk about 90 miles on foot or perhaps with Mary riding along on a donkey while she was in the final month of her pregnancy. I'm sure they didn't look forward to that, but they had to do it. And in the process of doing that, it actually fulfilled scripture that Jesus would be born not in Nazareth, but in Bethlehem, the same town where King David was born. However, there was another reason why Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Micah had spoken this prophecy. But you, Bethlehem of Fratha, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Today, we could look at this and think, oh, wow, this is an obscure prophecy about a little-known prophet in a tiny book of the Old Testament. Yet, when the Magi showed up in Jerusalem following the star that had led them there, King Herod summoned the chief priests and the teachers of the law who took them to this passage from Micah it's a 600-year-old passage from the Old Testament that these priests and these teachers cited. Would you mind putting that last scripture back up for a moment? If we could do that, Kathy, thank you. What's interesting about this scripture is it mentions Bethlehem, the town. It mentions that the people from Bethlehem are, are part of the small, one of the smallest clans of, of Judah, but it speaks of a ruler over Israel, but then there's this puzzle at the end whose origins are from old, from ancient times. In previous years, when people read this prophecy, they wondered, what on earth is the Bible talking about? Who could fit this last part of that statement, whose origins are from old, from ancient times, and yet who is living at that time? Of course, Jesus fits that, because Jesus was always with God, was always part of of the, the Godhead that we come to understand with his birth, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's without beginning in that sense. And and so this older one has come again, being born now through Mary, taking on human flesh. And so we see both the old and the new in Jesus, the ancient and the present. It's a riddle from Scripture that was only solved with the coming of Jesus. So even those who wanted to... uh, those who would reject Jesus later on, understood that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Here's the big idea from this morning's message. The promises of Christmas center on Jesus, who shepherds us, offers security, and is our peace. Christmas also has promises that are for us. For those who believe in Jesus, whether you decide to put your faith in Jesus during this Christmas season, or whether you've been carrying that faith and walking in that faith for years, let me just walk you through three of the Christmas promises that are for us. Here's the first one. He will shepherd us. If we go back to Micah, where that prophecy came about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, that passage goes on to say, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. That's Micah chapter 5, the first half of verse 4. What comes to mind when you think of the Lord as a shepherd? I'll bet I know. My mind immediately goes back to Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But it also goes back to a statement that Jesus made that is recorded in John chapter 10 I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. A good and faithful shepherd fulfills a number of roles. He cares for the sheep. He leads the sheep. He defends his sheep at times. He feeds his sheep. He knows them, and he calls them by name. And so it is that Jesus cares for us. For those who put their faith in Jesus, you are known to him. He cares for you. He's your defender. He's your leader. He's the one who feeds us, and he calls us by name. The same chapter of Micah 5 tells us that Jesus would stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. What a powerful picture that is for us, of Jesus standing and defending his flock and for ministering in the strength of the Lord. I was meditating on that verse during the week and I thought, wow, it's amazing how it describes the entire life of Jesus. Imagine Jesus as he's standing up while he's going through all the charges that were brought against him. And as he, he carries that cross through the streets knowing that he was serving us even in that process. He was standing and shepherding his flock through the strength of the Lord, just like that passage says. If you're new to all this, let me say this to you. If you put your faith in Jesus and follow him with your life... He will become your shepherd and your guide. He will lead you to streams of life and bless you. And he ministers to us through the strength of the Lord. So he will shepherd us. Here's a second Christmas promise that is just for us as Christians. He will bring security. So the back half of that same verse, Micah 4, 5 says, And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. What does it mean when Micah says they will live securely? Okay, it doesn't mean that nothing bad can ever happen in our lives because uh, we live in a world full of brokenness and we all experience some of the the badness of life. By the way, that didn't happen in Micah's day either. Micah wrote somewhere around 700 to 670 B.C. And uh, there were bad things that were happening in the world in that point in time. Rather... This reveals that we can trust the Lord for all that we truly need. He is able. He provides. Those who trust in Jesus can rest, knowing that God is in control at all times, even when the world is at war. So nations rage and they go to war, but they cannot take away our place with God, our security in the hand of God, where he has your life wrapped up in the palm of his hand. And he will see to it that you fulfill whatever your destiny is and whatever God created you for until your purpose is completed. And he provides for us calm in the midst of the storms of life. We face even death with the confidence that death is no barrier for the one who has already conquered death through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One day, Jesus will return and complete his final victory over the evil one. And that sense of security will then be complete, eternal, and final. But you can walk through life secure, knowing that no one can take you from the Father's hand because of the work of Jesus. He will shepherd us, He will bring security, and He will be our peace. So the next verse, Micah 5.5, starts off this way. And He will be our peace. Is it any wonder that the angels announced to Bethlehem shepherds peace on earth, goodwill to, toward men? The world today may not be at peace, but Jesus is our peace. And all over the world, all who approach God through the ministry of Jesus are at peace with God, can be at peace with themselves, can be at peace with others. We can be at peace even though the world itself is filled with trouble. When I read those words, there's an old worship chorus that comes to mind. He is our peace, who has broken down every, all, every wall. He is our peace. He is our peace. So here we have three Christmas promises that are for us. For those of us who believe that, that Jesus really is the Son of God, that He's the Messiah who came on our behalf. For those of us who put our faith in Jesus, He will shepherd His people. He allows us to live in security. He will be our peace. This is our hope for the holidays, that Jesus has come. Jesus will shepherd you and me. He will lead us, guide us, defend us, direct us, and feed us. He allows you to live in the security of knowing that God holds the future in his hands and that he holds you in his hands too. And Jesus himself will be our peace. He is the Prince of Peace who also gives us peace. He gives us peace not as the world gives, but only as he can give. I don't know if you have noticed this yet, but our world is unable to guarantee peace. The government cannot guarantee you peace. The UN cannot guarantee peace in this world. But Jesus can. And he brings peace in the midst of every storm to those who trust him. I would urge you, if if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, even if you're going through the midst of a great storm in your life right now, you can trust him. And he will bring you a measure of his peace in the midst of that, that will guide you and that will lead you. So one more time, the main idea of this service is this. The promises of Jesus, the promises of Christmas center on Jesus who shepherds us, who offers security, and who is our peace. I wonder, before we go into communion, if you would say this prayer for me that I had written on the, the bottom of, of your notes and will come up behind us as well. Let's pray this together. Lord, thank you for fulfilling your Christmas promises by sending Jesus for us. Help me to lean on you and to follow Jesus with all of my heart, mind, and And strength. Let the security and peace that can only come from Jesus flow into our lives. Thank you for sending your very own Son when the world was looking for something else. Oh God, thank you for hearing our prayers, for meeting us here this day. Thank you for Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. I think that discussion of or reminder of Jesus as being our peace leads naturally into communion. And so we're going to celebrate communion this morning together uh, before we end this service. I'd like to read a, a different passage that comes to mind for me when I think of communion, when I think of the bread and the wine that Jesus shared that night. This is from John chapter 15 as Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. You will bear much fruit. Apart from it, you can do nothing. If you take the uh, smaller little wrapper off that, there's a, a little wafer in there. In a moment, we're going to eat this together. When we do this, we are acknowledging that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that he took on a real physical human body Flesh and blood, like you and me, and became one of us forever. So he is able to represent us to God. And when we eat this, it acknowledges that he gave up his body on our behalf. Let's do so. Jesus, you are at the center of our thoughts at Christmas time. Thank you for taking our sins to the cross. Thank you for giving up your own body and after having become one of us forevermore, thank you that one day we will see you and that the transformation process will be complete then because your word says that when we see you, we will be like you. Wow. Wow. Thank you for stooping. Thank you for experiencing both the joys and the sadnesses of this life and for coming so that we would understand more about your Father God. Thank you. And if you peel off the larger sealer, wrapper, it reveals the cup. When we drink this cup, we're proclaiming to each other that it's through his shed blood that our sins are paid for and covered. And all who trust in him are covered by that work of Jesus. Let's drink in remembrance of what he has done. Lord, you have done so much for us. And in all of these ways, you have provided for us. you provided peace. You continue to provide security as you represent us before God the Father and you are our shepherd, not only in the days when you walked on this earth, but every day. Lead us well, lead us wisely, lead us as a congregation as we try to follow you together, lead us individually as we go out into this world, seeking your wisdom, seeking to accomplish things that you have us to do, seeking to use the skills and the talents and the knowledge that you've given us. And I ask that your blessing will fall on the people of North River Church, that we will be known as part of the flock of Jesus. Thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to worship in this way. In his name.